Alright, brothers and sisters, welcome. Um, today we're finally on John 4. Mm. Wow. Fantastic. Um, let's do a quick review of what we learned in chapter 3. So far, I guess, in the first three chapters, we'll do a quick recap. And then we'll get into the famous John 4. Samaritan woman at the well. So, uh, John 3, last week, what did we learn? Uh, for those of you who were... Who was here last week, actually? Sasha, Sasha. and John? No, was it not? Were you not? It's just me and no, Sasha. We were two weeks ago. Oh, it was Ivy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, where's Ivy? Yeah. yeah Anyways, and then we have subs today. True, true, true. Okay, so Sasha's going to run this down. Yes. Nicodemus is an idiot. That was two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, we looked at Nicodemus. We looked at the conversation between them. Uh, we looked at, of course, um, famous you know, born again. Conversation, uh, water spirit, um, and then we looked at some of the conclusions that they drew, verses nine to twenty-one, and of course the focus on belief in Christ, right? Belief in Him. What did we talk about last week, Sasha? <laughs> I'll help you, Sasha, if you forget. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. Just do your best. She's got we it. We talked about how John is still the witness of Jesus. Mm. Right. He puts himself after Jesus, despite his own followers. Uh, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. trying to kind of support him but he basically says that his whole purpose is to be uh, there to glorify Jesus and he makes a comparison <coughs> it's just like similar to a wedding where Jesus is a bridegroom but John himself is just a friend who is just rejoicing from being present there and from hearing the girl's voice awesome. and he keeps kind of emphasizing how Jesus must become greater and John must become less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Verse 30. Yeah. So last week we looked at um, following Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. We then see him uh, move to Judah. And then he was actually baptizing, it says, right, in verse 22. And then John has disciples, right? So like rabbis, teachers of the time have their own disciples. John's disciples observes this. And then they get into this little like conversation or dispute I guess with another Jew uh, who's hearing about Jesus's baptisms as well of course John is the baptizer right he's John the Baptist right so that's what he's known for uh, so John's disciples clearly have some kind of not animo- animosity but hesitation with Jesus baptizing right and so they go to their their um, teacher like John and they're like hey like you, do you know that that guy that you were talking about like he's doing your thing <laughs> He's mm. stealing your thunder, right? Um, and there's clearly no. like Just recording. Don't, don't there's clearly like some kind of um, like hesitation there on their end, right? They were saying that to Jesus. They were saying that mm. this to John oh. about Jesus, right? Oh, so then John the Baptist is like, "Let me remind you again, okay? <laughs> this is who Jesus is, and he testifies about who he is, right?" Um, and so what Sasha was talking about was the content of what John says. You can read that for yourself in verse 27, verses 27, uh, to the very end of verse 30, 30, right? And then he who comes out above is all above all. He who is just verse 31, the earth speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, right? So again, just um, this language of Christ, like he is not of earth. He is of heaven, right? His origin. Um and so there's this very like Christ-centric um, sort of uh, descrip- description given to us in verses 31 to 36, and then finally verse 36 gives us sort of that like 
the thesis once again. I wish Ari was here, but John uh, 20, verse 30 to 31, right? Uh, that the focus of this gospel is, well, gospel is to record these things so that the listener or hearer would believe in Christ, the Son of God, right? Uh, so it says here in verse 36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. The wrath of God abides on him, right? And so we talked about what that means, right? That there is a clear distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are not. And one, and for those who are in Christ, there is eternal life. For those who are not, there is only eternal perishing, right? So we're now in chapter 4. Okay? Uh, let's read. So we're going to read chapter 4. Let's read verses 1. Let's go to verse 30. 30. Okay. So 1 to 30 is where we will be. Um, yeah. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 30. I'll start. Uh, we'll read two verses each. So we'll do our best to stick to two verses. Uh, but I'll start, and then we'll go in Richard's direction. Let's read. The word of God. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, ooh. <laughs> he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the par parcel of grounds that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. A Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. <clears throat> she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well, and drank of it himself and the sons of his cattle. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The one said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship the, uh, what you do not know. You worship what we know, for our salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the Jew worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must, must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. At this point his disciples came, and they were amazed. 
that he had been speaking with the woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Amen. Okay, let's have someone pray as we open. Uh, could I ask Sasha? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Right, let's pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today and um, giving us this opportunity to learn more about uh, you, to learn more about uh, what we're ought to do as Christians. And I really pray that as we go through John 4, uh, our hearts will be open to receive your word, our ears will be opened up. You give us understanding of your word and we'll be able to truly understand the meaning intended behind the text. God, I pray that as we learn these things and proceed with our lives, I really pray that these thoughts, that they will all remain in our hearts and they will produce some fruits to and continue to transform our lives in every possible way. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so what do we observe in the text? Take a quick look once again, verses 1 to 30. What are some things you notice as we've been going through the Gospel of John? I'm sure there's some things that are going to, you know, flags are going to go up and you're going to see things perhaps connect to previous things we've already read. John 4, 1 to 30. What are some things that stand out? Some questions you might have. Uh, Some things you notice in the text. Sure, you've all read this text before, or mm-hmm. at least heard of it. Many, many preachers preach on this text. I myself included. Corey? <laughs> Still thinking. My man. <laughs> Think before you speak. I like that. I'm still thinking too. Take your time. Take your time. Mm-hmm. Take a good look at the text. Tell me if you notice. There's a lot. Mm. There's a lot. There's a lot of words. Bro. There's I love it, Mike. A lot of water. There's a lot of insight here. No, okay. I love it. Multiple definitions. Oh, multiple meanings. <gasps> oh my goodness, this guy's amazing. All relative. So talented. <laughs> as soon as you see something or any question or any thought pops up, just feel free to popcorn style right in. He's essentially, I, I don't know if this is the first time, like, in the gospel or in his ministry where he's doing this, but he's, a fe- he's essentially offering salvation to a non-Jew. Ooh, okay. half-Jew. Yeah. Because I think she says somewhere in this passage that so it's, funny. like, something, some, the Messiah is for the Jews or something like that. Um, but she's obviously not a Jew. Half-Jew. Not fully. Yeah. Not fully. And she's also, like... A sinner, right? Mm. 
like very clear sinner. Huge sinner. She's had, you know, multiple husbands. I wouldn't call her a prostitute, but she's mm -hmm. obviously, you know. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. you're immoral. Yeah. Adulterous. And basically Jesus offers that living water, right? That salvation, the eternal life. Mm -hmm. um, I think he also appreciates her honesty when he says you have spoken the truth. Um, for some reason, Jesus says, when she asks, like, give me this water, this living water you speak of, mm -hmm. uh, like, go call your husband and come back. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus obviously fully knowing that this lady doesn't have a husband, she yeah. has multiple husbands, and kind of like maybe seeing how she would respond. Not yeah. so Jesus can learn what she would say, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that she can, you know, yeah, yeah. learn herself, like her own heart, I guess. Mm. Um, and I think he appreciated the uh, the honesty. You're right when you say you have no husband. And yada, yada, yada. I also find it interesting in verse 1, it says, uh, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing but his disciples. It shows the uh, the intent of the Pharisees to always twist narratives mm -hmm. or like... Um, Basically, like, they just didn't like Jesus, right? They, mm -hmm. He was just a threat in every way to their self-righteousness, to their popularity, to their credibility politically, yeah. to their power. And so, like, there was obviously no eyewitnesses that Jesus was discipling says he wasn't, or uh, that Jesus was baptizing like he wasn't baptizing. Mm -hmm. But somehow by the time it got to the Pharisees and their take on it was that Jesus was the one who was baptizing when, mm -hmm. in fact, it wasn't even him, right? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Yeah. That's sick. How are you, Victoria? <laughs> um, I guess it's like when Jesus says like to worship the Father, he says to do it in spirit and in truth. Mm. Yeah. So Love like, it. What does that mean, to do it in spirit and in truth? Yeah, mm. it's like probably the most famous part of the text and mm -hmm. probably the text that is most mysterious to us. Mm. Um, not just here, but all scripture, really. Mm -hmm. It's a very mm -hmm. incredibly hard thing to fully grasp or understand. Um, but we can try and pick at it. We'll try to we'll try to poke at it and figure out what it means. <laughs> mm. um, anything else? Anything stands out, like thematically or imagery or any sort of things that we've seen before? You see, like arguments building. Um, continuation of certain things anything you notice in the text that stands out to you that's maybe like perplexing you we're all just Johannine masters at this mm -hmm. point <laughs> that's it it's like, oh this is John <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the significant part about this text is uh, the fact that uh, Jesus was, was breaking, well not breaking, but like he was, uh, how should I word this? Because like back in those days, mm -hmm. uh, Jews and Samaritans did not, you know, interact, right? Mm -hmm. um, because of like, you know, social reasons and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then here you have Jesus going directly to this woman. Mm. Uh, and uh, basically, like, uh, confronting her about, like, her sin, mm -hmm. right? 
but I think we see like a great deal of, uh, I guess, mercy here, mm -hmm. because from what, from my understanding, and I'm not sure if it's correct, but like if you commit adultery back then, or sorry, if you have like multiple, uh, I don't know, like husbands or whatever, isn't that, isn't that the same as like adultery? Isn't that, that is essentially that is adultery. That is, that is adultery. Yeah. So and then the consequence would be what, like being stoned to death, I believe, right? Not in Samaria. Uh, not in Samaria. Not, yeah. The, Jew, the laws are not as strict. There. So what would be the uh, consequence? <laughs> I mean, you just get shamed, right? Yeah, shamed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of like social outcasting. That's probably one of the reasons she is drawing water alone. Right. Mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. the time of the day when people wouldn't, because it's the hottest. Yeah. Okay. Right. okay. If you ever been to the Middle East or been to the desert? Mm. Interesting. They just don't go out. <laughs> 12 p.m. to about 4. Mm. It's just the time that like you would just die. Mm. There's no point in going out. Well, going <laughs> off of that, it just shows even more uh, amazing character of Jesus, yeah. right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Knowing that fact, and he himself had every right to be angry. Yeah. But because of his compassion, you know, he decided to. I guess maybe this is a portion of like her repenting, repentance, mm -hmm. right? In a way, confession. Yeah, yeah confessing her sin, confession. right? Yeah. To Jesus, who had the only right to condemn her, mm -hmm. but still didn't. Yeah. Um, I just see like it a beautiful display of essentially like the gospel here mm -hmm. uh, when he was interacting with this woman. Mm. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Very good. Very good points. Anything else from anyone else? Um, yes. I wonder if there's a reason why it's pointed out that they are at like Jacob's well. Mm. Um, Who's this Jacob? Why does he have a well? <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember about it in Genesis. Nice. Yeah. Like he had multiple wells. I think so. I haven't read I mean, he had to move around. Like <laughs> Sorry, I go wonder ahead. why it's pointed out in like the mm -hmm. first bit mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. they are exactly. And oh, then, um, he could, Jesus could have gone like on a longer route around Samaria, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why did he go through it? Mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh, so much stuff to Very good. <laughs> so much stuff to and just bite onto. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, like, the mention of, like, Jacob being, um, the woman being a descendant of Jacob, like, mm -hmm. that mentioning, and the fact that the one she mentions later, I don't mm -hmm. know what verse it is, because, yeah. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's that, um, that curiosity, and, um, I think several, like, Verses here show the humanity of Jesus, mm -hmm. how he was tired, mm. and how he thirsted. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Journeying. RTS. It's called self-study, bro. You don't need seminary for that. Most of her attitude is just very different from other people that have encountered okay. encounters with Jesus before. Uh -huh. That she's very receptive of it. 
Okay. Even when she, she told her about the water, she w she immediately said, uh, "Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get mm, I see thirsty." Okay. Mm. Uh, for instance, like compared to like, Nicodemus, she does seem genuinely more. Mm. I like I like how you draw I, I like how you look back at the conversation between us because I think what John is trying to do here is to show you a comparison between Jesus conversing with a religious Jewish leader mm -hmm. and then immediately with a Samaritan woman. <clears throat> there are three layers of sin to this woman that would basically disallow a Jewish man of good standing to converse with this person or to even be in convert like to even be in the presence of this woman right so she's a woman right um nowadays we don't do this but back in the days you know gender lines were a thing he's a, she's a woman so that alone already like one-on-one -on -one conversation should not be easy number two she's a samaritan so not only is she a woman she's a samaritan too so it's like whoa okay two layers of no way like this is not a person jewish men deal with third she's adulterous yeah. right so it's like yeah. every layer of this person disqualifies her from being in the presence of jesus at this yeah. point right so it's like a conversation that ought not to happen but we know in conclusion this is this conversation actually ends up really well right whereas you had a conversation with nicodemus a jewish man of in the perspective of religious people of the time of same standing as jesus right rabbi and rabbi and here is this conversation where, you know, kingdom of heaven, eternal life conversation ensues. But there, the conversation seemingly does not end too well, right? So it's a very interesting contrast between the conversation with Nicodemus and the conversation. Is there a significance of, like, the time of day? I think so. One, it signifies, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the privacy that this woman was trying to achieve in coming to the wall at the time. Uh, and then secondly, it shows you the humanity of Christ. And how does it do so? Well, he's wearied and tired and thirsty. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, that's something that's extraordinary to me is that um, that jumps out to me first because we're just like, Jesus, 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 right? He's so, like, he's God. He's divine. He's from heaven. He's, you know, God sent him. He is his son. Like, da 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 Oh, but he's also really tired and, like, wearied and, like, <laughs> thirsty. Like, he's just human at this point in that sense, right? He's in, he's truly man, right? Uh, that's incredible uh, to witness. Right? Is there also kind of like, uh, like, is there significance to the well being dried up upon arrival? Like there was nothing there. Uh, was there nothing there? <laughs> or they couldn't? Because she said, I don't think she would have come to the well if the well was dry. <clears throat> So he had nothing to dig up water yeah. from. He needed there's no yeah, water yeah. in there. Oh, there's she, had water. she had a pot. He did not. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he asked for a cup of water. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't dried up. Okay. Uh, I hope not, because this woman then made a trip for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else stand out to you guys before we get right into it, or are you just like really eager to get into John Four? Let's do it. Do do do. All right, let's get into it. Okay. So, the first six verses are almost introductory. So, um, I love how this text subtly switches. Therefore, when the Lord knew, did you catch that? Like, it all of a sudden, just the, the Greek, the kyrios, like, all of a sudden, just switches to the Lord, right? It's not Jesus, it's not the Christ, it's not, like, 
This whole time, you're just like, Jesus said this, Jesus said that. All of a sudden, therefore, when the Lord knew, the Pharisees... Like, it's just a subtle shift, but it's like, um, you'll miss that if you don't um, pay close attention, right? Mm. He knew, so there's divine knowledge here, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. So this is, again, like, uh, showing you why, at the end of chapter 3, verses 22 to 36... Why that dispute between John's disciples um, and those who were going to Jesus might have existed, right? So there's competitive nature here. So uh, the reality, in, and we're giving comment, we're given commentary now by John the author, in brackets, uh, at least in my Bible, in verse two, mm. Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. That's a very interesting note because in it in chapter three. Um, Verse 22, it seems like Jesus was the one baptizing. But if you read carefully, it's actually never noted that it was Jesus who mm-hmm. was baptizing. It just says he was with them and baptizing. So it didn't have to necessarily be him baptizing, right? So it was actually the disciples who were baptizing. Um, I mean, we can go into a million questions, right? Like just from this one verse. Mm-hmm. Like why are they baptizing? And like what does it mean? Like how does that, what does that mean for our own baptisms? Like except cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have a thought? Yeah. Is it like safe? Yeah. Or is it NSFW? No, it's safe. Okay. <gasps> Love it. So Jesus will put honor upon his disciples by employing them to baptize. He teaches us that the benefit of sacraments depends not on the hands that administers them. Mm. Where did you read that from? Matthew Henry. Mm. You see, you're Legit. accessing commentaries. <laughs> if I say it enough times, then it's like what I'm saying, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Sure, Great theologian right sure. here. Plagiarism. Oh, it's gonna be a great theologian. <laughs> I love plagiarism. Yeah, I mean, we could go into like questions about what the significance of that is, but uh, I don't think it's critical to the reading of John four. Uh, I think it's a very minor, just commentary that he's noting. Mm. Uh, what he's trying to emphasize, though, is the misunderstanding that exists on the end of the Pharisees, and we've already seen this before. Right, they were sending even to John the Baptist, right? Messengers saying, "By what authority and do you do this?" Right? We saw that with John the Baptist. They're doing the same with Jesus, right? Um, so there's animosity growing on that side of the fence, if you will, hmm. right? On the religious leadership side. I think um, he also verse three he left Judea because <laughs> he knew that. I think John was imprisoned already, or he was going to be. Right. So he they, was on the brink of. So yeah. Jesus is saying, I think this verse is saying like. It's not Jesus' time yet, yes, right? Yes. So Jesus didn't. So in a sense, he's he's going away so that he won't get arrested and killed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we'll see this multiple times in John, yeah. right? Where he's like, no, not yet the time, yeah. not ready yet. Not because right? he's scared, yes. but because it's just not his time yet. Right. He still has work to do. And that plays on the theme of God's timing, right? Providential yeah. timing of the Lord. Uh, the hour has not yet come. That language, right? Um, he left Judah, went went away again into Galilee. Okay, so he's among the commoners. Verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Um, so quick note, Samaritans, as Richard noticed for, noted for us, are essentially like, in the Harry Potter world, like mudbloods. They're half-bloods, right? Um, they're partial, partial Jews, if you will, right? They're mixed blood race. And so the Jews, unless you're pure blood Jew, they considered you Gentile. They considered you dirty, right? Yeah. Um, so... They're basically saying your ancestors sinned, and so I cannot consider you uh, part of the true mm-hmm. lineage of the Jews, right? You're condemned. Yes. <clears throat> Although, I mean, what to do with 
Boaz and Ruth, right? <laughs> um, anyways, uh, he left Judea and went away again to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Mikey is going through Genesis right now, so he's going to know every single thing about this well and everything about Sychar. Uh, Jacob's well was there. He's going through Matthew Henry's commentary as we speak. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, and his weariness is what actually uh, starts and conjures this conversation, right? It's not only this woman coming to the well to draw water, but it's Jesus' weariness that actually initiates the conversation. It's the topic, it's the introductory topic, right? It's give me a cup of water, right? We see that in verse 7. He was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So again, John gives you a lot of geographical points. He gives you timestamps as he tells you his story, right? This gospel. So he's sitting by the well. Does he know in his divine knowledge that the Samaritan woman is coming? I'm sure he does. Yes. But the conversation is drawn through a simple request. Give me a cup of water. But how does the conversation end? has nothing to do with water, right? Like, we start with a cup of water and Jesus' weariness, and it ends with living water and Jeez. eternal life and Messiah and the gospel, right? That's like, evangelist. it is, right? So John's gospel is about witnessing Christ in all things and us, like, you know, just general people being instruments of witnessing and testifying Christ. Like, what is more extraordinary than this? That in weariness, that just requesting a cup of water from a stranger is something that can conjure the conversation of the gospel. Give me a drink. Right? What more is extraordinary than that, right? So, what's the importance of Sikar? And Jacob's well. So Jacob, <laughs> Googling skills. No, so Jacob is the son <laughs> of Isaac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yo, there's so many names, bro. You just gotta like you. Well, you know, God of Abraham, God of Jacob, and of the wells. From what I remember, do you remember, or you just research this right now? <laughs> bro, I read the Bible. Okay, <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> they were, they were, there was more than one. Like they were sparsed out. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I can't remember who. If it was Isaac. But he got like kicked out or something, and he went to one well. Yeah. And he went to like another well. Yeah. But the significance of the well, so they were provided by God to his people, in this case, Jacob, and you know, the people at the time, mm -hmm. to essentially settle and live there, like wherever the well was. Like, so there was like a few of them, mm. or, or I don't know how, however many. But it was a source of life and... Yeah. It's critical to life. Right? Yeah, it's it, so it that's like a fountain of life. Very important, yeah. very mm -hmm. important that the well is something, right, that is a source of life. something that is necessary. Yeah. For what? For human life, life. right? So it's critical. It's... it's it's and, necessary. And don't quote me on this exactly, but I think I will there not. Was, yeah, yeah, you got to give me some leniency yes. here. But okay. I think there were Grace some. And mercy. There were a couple wells that didn't like produce water, or like I think they dug it up. Okay. But it was dry, so they had to like, go elsewhere. In this city. No, I'm not talking about this example. I'm oh, talking about like, like, in other places. Yeah, yeah okay. in Genesis. Sure. I mean, if, if you dig a well and it like, dries up, you, you, you dig another one. But I think there's significance to that because, well, obviously, God provides the water underneath, right? Mm -hmm. 
Like they're not like master geologists where like they start seeing like yeah yeah you know sure it's not an exact science I'm yeah thinking. sure yeah but I, don't I just know I just has, remember uh, they were like I don't know if that has any significance so savage but in the Bible <laughs> very interesting thing here is Jesus is <laughs> interesting thing here is Jesus is left alone right while his disciples are out to buy food mm-hmm. okay yeah. so is, uh, food water obviously things important here um so as he's alone sitting at this well we have this happen sicker is the capital city of samaria okay uh in the old testament the name for sicker would have been shechem uh let me give you a couple points about this city in genesis 12 we're told this is where abraham first uh when he arrived into canaan from babylonia this is where he first came to Sikar. This is also where God first appeared to Abram and Canaan and renewed the promise of giving the land to him and his descendants, Genesis 12, verse 7. This is where Abram built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. Very important, right? Genesis 12, 8. This is where Jacob came safely when he returned with his wives and children from his sojourn with Laban, Genesis 33. This is where Jacob bought a piece of land from a Canaanite uh, named Hamor for 100 pieces of silver. So a Jew buying land from a Canaanite, Gentile, for 100 pieces of silver, Genesis 30, 19, 33, 19. This is where Jacob built an altar to the Lord and called it El Elohe Israel, Genesis 33, 20. This established the connection between Jacob and what became known as Jacob's well there in Sychar. So that's the significance historically. Continuing, Shechem in the Old Testament, or Sychar now, was also the place where uh, Dina, the daughter of Jacob, was raped, and the sons of Jacob massacred the men in the city in retaliation, Genesis 34. This was the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph, land uh, Jacob had all conquered from the Amorites with his sword and bow in an unrecorded battle of Genesis 48-22. This is also where the bones of Joseph were eventually buried when they were carried up from Egypt, Joshua 24-32. And then finally, same chapter, John, Joshua 24, this is where Joshua made a covenant with Israel, listen carefully, renewing their commitment to the God of Israel and proclaiming as for me and my house, we will, we will serve the Lord. Very close. Uh, Pretty NIV, much same bro. thing. NIV, bro. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, very significant place, if you, like Old Testament-wise, right? Historically, um, and this is Jacob's well. Okay. This well exists today supposedly <laughs> in an orthodox graphic church uh, as far, <laughs> uh if you go to uh that area of earth today you can still go shakam right um but anyways uh this is the historical sort of background of where we are okay and it is here where all these things have happened covenants have been made renewed etc uh that this woman this samaritan woman this sinner comes to Jesus and sets up this whole thing. Uh, so verse eight, the devils have gone away to seek to buy food. Jesus alone with this woman. So it's problematic here. Normally Jesus should remove himself from that place and go elsewhere. Verse nine. Therefore, Samaritan woman came. Uh, woman said to him. So you can imagine, like, she is um, coming to the well to draw water, and here is a Jewish man. You can imagine her shock, right? And not only that, he asks for a drink. This is flirtation, right? Like, is this Jesus flirting with a woman? Of course not. But um, this woman says to him, 
How is it that you, being a Jew, so she understands seemingly better in her at this point in her perspective. Uh, you're not supposed to be talking to me. Yeah, she she's not. She knows. In yeah, any way. she yeah. knows. That immediately tells you she knows a little bit about herself. Yeah, yeah. In knowing that, hey, like I'm not someone you should be associating with. Right. In so many levels, right? this point we don't know that she's a sinner and she's adulterous we know she's a Samaritan and she's a woman so even on those two things on those grounds he ought not to be um, talking to her so how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman and then John gives us the commentary for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans there's no like, like some dealings like time to time dealings or like no dealings there's nothing <clears throat> nothing happens between the Jews and Samaritans this is like Jesus' crossing boundaries here okay <laughs> Um, verse 10 Jesus answered and said to her this is extraordinary if you, you have to get this verse down listen to what he says if you knew so we've been talking so far about the condition for eternal life right like what did you, being in Christ believing in him the son of God all these things listen to what he says if you knew so we know at this point she does not know nor believe okay? but if you knew and he lists two things, the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what do we learn in that verse, verse 10? Yeah. What do we learn? <laughs> what do we learn in that verse? Which verse? Verse 10. <laughs> Are you listening? No, I was. Apparently not. I also want to make note here. We have yet again what? The image of? Water. Water. Setting up our story. Central to it. What have we already seen? Water in the? John 1. We saw baptism. Yes. And then we saw John 2. The purification jars. The water turning into wine. Right? John 3, conversation with Nicodemus. You must be born of water and right? spirit. Water and, spirit. Um, and this language is continuing. Right? Water is central as an image. Right? Here again, we see water. At, like, give me a couple drink of water. Right? Like, give me water. Right? And here is this um, thing that is necessary for survival. She's coming to the well for that. And she encounters Jesus, who is actually saying, I have something far more superior than anything you can find at this world. Right. Is Jesus referring to the uh, gift of God's salvation? Yes. In terms of the, if you knew the gift of God? Yeah. In the form of? Jesus? Yes, and? Himself? Who it is, right? So, if you knew the gift of God, we've already been given the language of Jesus is, of heavenly source, of heavenly origin. Yeah. He was sent by God as the Son of God, right? Here we see who it is, so that it is that very person that is in front of you. Behold, right? The Lamb of God. If you knew who it was that was speaking to you, if you knew these things, and you knew, um, or sorry, and you knew these things, and he was saying, give me a drink, you would actually request yourself a drink, and he would give you living water, something far greater than what, this, uh, well, what Jesus is requesting from you right. at the moment. It's two conditions, right? two things. Knowing the gift of God, 
who Jesus is, who it is that who it is that is speaking to you. If you knew these things, he would give you living water. So in order to have living, if, if living water is synonymous here with salvation or eternal life, right? Because Mikey pointed out, a well is a source of water, which is a uh, necessity for life. It sustains life. It is some, it is the very thing that allows us to be continue on, right? Living. But of course, we know that we don't live forever. We do die. But she's saying, "I'll give you water that's truly living." Right. So we're already seeing this, right? The wine runs out. The real wine, like the really good wine. Okay, it's the better wine, sustained forever. And then we have the temple. It'll be broken. It'll be busted, but be re, um, rebuilt in three days, and it will sustain forever. Right? There's there's an eternality to the language that Christ is uh, preaching to those who He's meeting. Right? So, um, living water. Right? So there's that image again, and there's that language of eternity. Verse eleven. She says to him. Listen carefully to her, because just like Nicodemus, when he said, what did he say when, when Jesus said you have to be born again? What did Nicodemus say? You can't enter the womb. Yeah, how do you enter the womb again, right? So what is he thinking on, on the level of what? Sorry? Right, he's thinking on earthly terms. He's thinking like physically, like physical terms, right? But Jesus, when he uses these terms, he's talking what? Spiritual. Heavenly and spiritual, right? So listen carefully. He says, I'll give you living water. So that sounds good, right? Because it's like, whoa, wait, what? Like, this is, okay, give me, give me this incredible water that you <laughs> speak of, right? Um, she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. So she has a pot that she's drawing with, that she's come with. In her perspective, he needs her. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> but <clears throat> to get water, he needs her. But he's saying, I can get you even better water. So first of all, why are you asking me for a cup of water then, <laughs> right? Secondly, I have the pot. You don't have any pot, right? What are, where is this water, okay? So again, she's thinking on earthly and physical terms. The well is deep. How will you draw is probably her question. Where then do you get that living water? Brothers and sisters, that's the right question, isn't it? That's the right question. That's the proper question to ask. But then she continues, and she's getting closer and closer to the answer here. Verse 12, and I think this is not, you know, like in Nicodemus's case, it's like when he's like, well, how do we get born again? Like, do we go back to our mother's womb? Like, how can one enter do that? Like, do that, enter the mother's womb again. That was more like, in a sense, like doubtful and mockery of what Jesus is saying. This is true inquiry, isn't it? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well? Right? We have this incredible father, Jacob. This well, it's been sustained for many, many, many generations. It's continuing to provide this water that is essential for our human life here. Are you greater than him? That you claim to have water greater than the water sourced in this well? The water that he himself drank of? And his sons and his cattle, like everyone drank from this well? Jesus answers this, right? Because the question is, are you greater? Right? Everyone, verse 13, who drinks of this water, <clears throat> which water is he speaking of? The, well. the water in the Jacob's well, will thirst again. 
That's facts. Mm -hmm. How does she know? How does he know that she will get this? She comes to this well regularly to draw water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, verse 14, shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him, right, a well of water springing up to eternal life. There's a lot of conversation about this particular verse. I wonder if Richard has any commentary on verse 14. Um, Have you read things on this? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, whoever drinks this water will give him a thirst of the water that I shall give him. Um, I, I think with the water imagery, we think of, like, the assumption is, like, we are dry mm -hmm. apart from Christ. So I think there's a, the sense of, like, we're dry because of our sins. But just, like, without Christ and the Spirit, like, our, like, even apart from sin, like, our lives are, like, our spiritual lives are dead and like dry bones like we we have nothing right so right christ is not just i think he's talking about the forgiveness of sins mm -hmm. but also just like spiritual life in general like if you don't mm -hmm. have faith mm -hmm. um you're you're just like a dry little corpse like right with like bones right just it shows our condition as well yeah it shows you the limitation of physical matter like mm -hmm. physical things yeah there's a temporary nature to it i i think there's also like significance in the sense that like so water is not, um, like in the desert, a plentiful source. Mm -hmm. There mm -hmm. needs to be wells where people, like the Samaritan woman and basically everyone at the mm -hmm. time, have to, like you can't just get it, like it's not just tap water, yeah, yeah. right? So you have to journey for it, you have to calculate it, you have to go at a certain time of day, you have to mm -hmm. carry it back, right? Um, and Jesus is essentially saying like, even that, so like people look at this well as a source of life because it yep. is a source of yep. life, but even that source of life yes this well yes. right in a dry and parched land where there's no water and this yes. actual well where there is water yeah. is still finite yeah 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 right there's a limit um, to its ability sure. to yeah. provide yeah and i think people at the time when you are living in a dry and parched land where there is no water and you find a well mm. it it is it is treasure and light like you've just you are not going to die right <laughs> like mm -hmm. you know um, and she's saying even that you will still you know yeah, thirst yeah. and die again right unless you yes. have the true living water sure yeah and listen to the interesting language of verse 14 the water that I will give him will and this is where some scholarly debate exists become in him a well right now what does this mean like there are the the actual Greek um, the language kind of um, in a way depicts the image of a man where his stomach is like literally overflowing and bursting out, right? There's like a bursting of, right? So some will read this and they'll say, oh, it is that Christ in him becomes a well, right? And continues to overflow uh, this living water, if you will. And thus this person with Christ in him, right, has eternal life. Others will say Christ in his like, in his provision, right, and his faith is within the sinner and within the person, becomes like that of a well, right? Mm -hmm. The water is so abundant like that of a well. In the, I know it's a subtle difference, but there's a scholarly debate on this. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's too important, the nuance or detail of that expression of what Christ is saying. I do wonder exactly what it meant, right? Much of John 4, I wonder exactly what Jesus <laughs> meant in his wording. 
Um, because, but he says, the water that I will give him, whatever that image is, will become in him a well. Right? So, but this well, it doesn't dry up. It doesn't cease to provide. Right? Jacob's well will. And as extraordinary as Mikey pointed out, this well is, it is far less greater, infinitely lesser than the well that Christ will instill in him. Right? Because one leads right. to temporary provision of life and Jesus as well provides eternal life so the woman says you can imagine her and she's still thinking on earthly terms because I mean let's be gracious to her here she has no understanding at this point right Um, she's legit thinks Jesus is talking about water now what we're about to learn about her is that she's adulterous and she's a sinner and she has a lot of shame on her record Okay, so she's moving like discreetly, right? Can you you can imagine the public shame that is on her, and she wants <coughs> to come to she has to come to this well for water every day or every few days. So you can imagine that she would love to not have to come to this well, right? It's like, oh wait, there's a well that will like be eternal, like, and you can give this to me, like, okay, jackpot! Like I just hit like Lotto six forty nine here, like this is amazing, right? So she's still thinking on terms of water. Okay? She says, Sir, give me this water. So I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. So she's thinking on these terms. She's thinking on these grounds. Now, this might seem really stupid to you because you know who Jesus is and you know what he's going to accomplish on and you know what his work is and you know his ministry, you know his everything about him. But what did we just say? Like, verse 10 if you knew. If you knew who it was before you, you wouldn't talk on these terms. You wouldn't think on these terms. But she doesn't know yet, right? So she is speaking and thinking on these terms, right? Um, I mean, we wonder sometimes why Christians in the church speak on these terms, on earthly terms, right? Why we speak on such earthly level thinking when in reality there's a much greater heavenly reality that we ought to be speaking of, right? So here we see this conversation ensuing. Verse 16, he said to her, go, call your husband. Like, why? Why would this even all of a sudden come up, right? Like, the conversation is surrounding water, the provision of water, this supposed living water, an eternal well. And all of a sudden, she requests this water, and he says to her, go, call your husband and come here. Can I add a... Yes. Yeah, so um, this might be a little bit different interpretation, but... Uh, when you read John Calvin, um, so Calvin interprets this as the woman's actually mocking him, mm-hmm. right? So, like, there's two ways to interpret it. It could be, like, she's being very, like, naive, which is very possible. But there's another one where, like, at the end, because if you read Jesus's um, interactions with other people, he never calls out their personal sin, mm-hmm. right? But this woman, because, like, there is a, in 634, someone says, Lord, Jesus says, um, I'm the bread of life. And they said, Lord, give us this bread. And then he goes into a sermon. He doesn't start, like, calling out their sins, right? Mm -hmm. But here, I think Calvin does have, like, some support for his view that she's she's mocking him at the end. And then because of that, Jesus is like, okay, 
speaking is not going to work with this woman, right? Like, I need to convict her of her sin before she will actually believe what I say, right? Mm -hmm. So, I do think that, like, I think both of them are equally valid. Um, I would agree, though. Like, yeah. I think there is definitely skepticism still yeah. on her end because she cannot imagine or fathom internal wealth. Yeah, yeah. So, it's like, if you have this, why not give it to me? Yeah, right? yeah. Like, if you claim this thing, give it to me, right? Yeah. So, there's definitely hesitation and skepticism yeah. on her end. Okay, Alex has something to say. Say yes. Wait, so Alex is here? Oh, hello. Uh, hello, Alex. And Aria, wow. Hello. <laughs> um, why does Jesus talk in this way, knowing that the woman will not comprehend what he's saying fully? Uh, we're going to get there. At the end, the conclusion will be extraordinary. But I, I mean, we have to know that from the very beginning, we're told... Um, of Christ's divine knowledge in these things, right? There is a divine will and purpose behind these conversations, and they're being, if you will, constructed in a manner in which we'll draw out, pun intended, uh, mm -hmm. the conclusion that is pro uh, appropriate and proper, right? So uh, to Richard's point, I think he is essentially leading the conversation in the way um, that will lead to this woman coming to salvation, like to faith. So there is baggage on her end that is not yet revealed to us, right, that we don't know of. But once he brings it out here, the issue of bring your husband, right? Uh, if you want this water, bring the husband, right? And what does that tell you, actually? That she is seeking living water, this so-called provision of eternal life, and he says bring your husband. What, why do you think Jesus would do that? She didn't say bring your husband. He said that. Yeah, he said that. But why would he say that? <laughs> to show that he, like he has divine knowledge. Yes, and yeah. and 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 didn't uh, Richard say it? Yeah, convict him, convict her of her yeah, sin, right? Yeah. yeah. So that I she, mean, she could say it. So that she could say it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. what does that tell you about this gift of God, knowing in crisis, this living water? What does it tell you that? It's just not, her. yes, and it's not just about us going to Jesus and he's like, here's eternal life, here you go, everyone here is eternal life. Everyone who comes to me, here's eternal life. Yeah. What's the condition to that? What's the condition to being a Christian? Like, that you don't just believe and follow and love God, but you also repent. repent. There's a message of repentance and belief. And so in all of these images that we've seen with water, whether it be the temple or the wine or even the baptism, we see that it's an image of purification. But it's an image of cleansing, right? So this woman has baggage and dirtiness, things to be cleansed, and she is asking for living water. So-called Jesus has it, and what uh, she what she needs to do, or part of that, is repentance, right? Repentance of the sin that causes her immense shame, right? So here we have um, Jesus drawing that out in the most could we say intellectual ways? Like very, very like high level intellect here, right? To say, go, call your husband, come here. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't like make any like accusations against her. He doesn't say, well, I know what you've been up to. So this living water here ain't gonna give it to you unless you do this, right? It's like, hey, like go get your husband, right? And he knows how this conversation is gonna go, but it's very interesting. So then verse 17, the woman answers and says, 
I have no husband, nothing else. She doesn't get to the sin yet. She just says, I have no husband. So we're taking baby steps here to repentance, right? right. Jesus says to her in response, you're right. You've correctly said this, that you have no husband. For, and here's the divine knowledge that John was talking about, you have had five husbands. Can you imagine the shock on her face? Here's this woman who's just every day, like, just goes to the well, draws water, meets this Jewish man who she shouldn't be, he shouldn't be talking to her. All of a sudden, he knows in incredible detail about the most specific of sins in her life. The very source of her shame in the public sphere, right? <laughs> he knows that she's had five husbands. And the one whom you have now, right, is not your husband. The one you're with right now, not even your husband. So you're, I know what you're doing is essentially what she's saying. But he credits her. This you have said truly. She never said any of this. She just said, I have no husband. Right? That's all she said. But Jesus has drawn this out. <clears throat> and listen to her response in verse 19. Okay. Are you a prophet? <laughs> right? Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, well, what does she mean by prophet? So... Nicodemus perceived Jesus to be a rabbi, like a teacher, right? One who is sent from God. That's what Nicodemus said. An element of truth, but not the full truth of Christ's identity, right? He couldn't grasp the rest of that. Here, she's starting to grasp who he is. She grasps that he is a prophet, right? What, what does she mean by this? What do you Someone think she means? Someone who is sent of God, who has like insights of God. Right, so has knowledge, right? Prophets, of course, in the Old Testament were those who came to actually expose the sins of, of God's people and ask them, right? Requested them to repent and believe. We see this in Malachi as we're going through in our Sunday sermons. So she is perceiving this. She's not offended. She's not hurt. She's not like, oh my goodness, he knows who I am. I got to get out of here, right? <laughs> but it's like, oh shoot, this is higher knowledge stuff. Like mm -hmm. this guy knows things. Um, and she perceives this and she says it. Um, and she continues though and this is where the conversation gets really interesting now I want to remind you all of this started with Jesus sitting next to a well asking for a cup of water okay <laughs> now here we are this is her words verse 20 our fathers so her ancestors worshipped in this mountain and when she says this mountain she is you can imagine Galilee right now like if you've ever seen it Galilee, surrounded by mountains. There's Mount Jerusalem. Jerusalem city is literally on top of a mountain. And then Shechem, Sikkar, is on itself on another mountain, right? And so it's a competing mountain, if you will. In this mountain, you people say uh, so that in Jerusalem, that mountain over there, this is the place where men ought to worship. But our fathers say this is where we ought to worship. So what is she signifying, teaching us here? <clears throat> A difference between what? First of all, a difference between which two groups? Jews and Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans? Differences in what between the Jews and Samaritans? Place of worship. Place of worship. So now what are we talking about? We're no longer on the conversation of water anymore. Like you see how things are transitioning really quickly here? We've gone from cup of water to living water to her sin. And now we're talking about Jesus prophet and now this conversation of worship 
how did we get here? This is a very interesting conversation. Okay. <laughs> um, so Jews claim that Mount Jerusalem is where worship ought to happen. So they built their temple there. It's where the sacrifices are made. That's where Jesus just was in John 2, right? But the Samaritans say it's actually on this mountain our fathers say we should worship. So what are they? What is she um, articulating for us as a core dispute between the Jews and Samaritans? Religiously, they disagree on what? Place of worship. Right, the actual physical, geographical place of worship. So an element of what she's articulating with the difference between the Jews and Samaritans religiously is still a physical level difference. Right, she's still thinking on earthly terms. Right. She's thinking about these things. So if this man is a prophet, he she knows he is a Jew, right? She is pointing out, right, a religious difference between the Jews and the Samaritans, right? Because if you are a prophet, I want to know some things, right? If you are a man from God, sent by God, I want to know some things, okay? Verse 21, Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me okay um an hour is coming so we're getting that our language again which we've already seen before when did we see this okay. right the uh, wedding in cana we see uh jesus's mother requesting jesus to help out he's like my hour has not yet come we've already talked about what that means but an hour is coming when neither in this mountain right mountain of the Samaritans nor the mountain Jerusalem right nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father can I have one thing yes yeah so it's important to know like on, on this mountain in Samaria there was a temple there mm -hmm. right? so you have the Jerusalem temple which is the true temple and then when um, the kingdoms when the northern kingdom got wrecked um, there were like there was a idolatrous kind of like priest who and a king who created a new temple so the Samaritans actually had like proper like worship services at, at this like nice temple right so it, it's important to realize that um, it does exist and mm -hmm. there's competing temples going on here too yes mm -hmm. so not only are they like in terms of how they view or how they not only are they separated like racially they're separated like religiously mm -hmm. right they they are on completely different sides if you will so to speak um, and so what Jesus is addressing here for them is this dispute that is existent among these two groups where worship ought to occur ought to happen right and then listen to him carefully right he says an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father but what does he mean by that that worship will no longer happen on these mountains what does he actually mean by that Crucified. Yes, but but we're okay. So we know an hour is coming is signifying what? Uh, his death. Right, his accomplished work on the cross. Right, and that will cease what for temple uh, temple worship, right. right? For the Jews or for the Samaritans, right. essentially what they view as a geographical limitation right like a disposition of where worship ought to happen will no longer be right your geographical location on earth will not deem some higher level of holiness or higher level of worship right 
there is no limitation to where these things ought to occur, right? As an accomplished also, work no of Christ, discrimination or limitation to uh, people group. Yes, so right. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. yes. Thank you. That was the next point. The breaking between Jew and Gentile, oh, right? That there is no longer <laughs> only one group that ought to be worshiping God or should worship God or so to speak in their perspective, right? That all of these barriers, right? That all of these misunderstandings will be completely destroyed and that worship will no longer be um, done in these sort of like displaced geographical areas. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. What does that mean? Verse 22. You worship what you... So who is the you here? The Samaritans. We is the who? The Jews. Why? Jesus is Jew, right? So you worship what you do not know. What do they not know? Because we began this with if you knew, right? But what do they not know? Sure. But both groups don't know living water. We saw that with Nicodemus, right? Uh, and the Pharisees. God, Gift of God. Gift of God, something. Sure. <laughs> in, in verse 10, it was gift of God, who Christ is. But the Samaritans are worshiping on their mountain, doing their own thing, right? And the Jews are on their mountain, Mount Jerusalem, doing their thing, mm -hmm. right? But when Jesus says the Samaritans worship what they do not know, but the Jews worship what they do know. And then he concludes with, for salvation is from the Jews. What does he mean by that? Um, I don't exactly know, but... Guess. I think it has Guessing to is do the game. With, like, she's claiming her father's, like, her descendant line in, like, that as though it's the true mm. um, line of... <laughs> yeah, one of the highlights, and this requires like study of the Samaritan uh, religion, right? But one of the things that we know is that the Samaritans basically denied the rest of the Old Testament after Deuteronomy. They only read Genesis to Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. Everything after that was just like Jewish propaganda, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like not down with this. Because I mean, the rest of it is essentially like do not mix race, do not like. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine them reading Malachi, right? <laughs> yeah. They're like. Uh, like homosexuals <laughs> reading like, like Romans uh, 1. Uh, like, oh. uh, like, this book is about me. <laughs> like, right? So it's like, oh, no. it's like, oh no, right? Um, can't read me. that. Ezra, yeah. Nehemiah, like, gotta get rid of all that, right? So they have omitted the rest of the Old Testament. Like, like there are things in the rest of those books, though, as we are discovering, even in the book of Malachi, that is so much about Christ, right? Christ coming, the Messiah, all of these things. So much is given to us in Isaiah. Right? In the rest of the Old Testament, there's so much of that. There are things they do not know. Jesus is pointing out something really practically missing about, uh, practically missing in the religion of the Samaritans. Is that you are worshiping with limited understanding. It's an incomplete theology. Hmm. Hence, an incomplete, incomplete Christology. Right? Hmm. And the Jews, they're not perfect, but they have at least canon. And they are worshiping what they know. In the proper You're, way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they're still both flawed. Right? He's not saying the Jews are better than you, so disregard your Samaritan faith and come over to the Jewish side. Right? No. He's saying both of you, right? Although one worships what you do not know and one worships what you do know, salvation is from what the Jews know. 
right? Because the Jewish text, and if this is, if there's ever been like an advocate on Jesus and for the Old Testament scriptures, here it is, right? Not only does he quote the Old Testament all throughout his ministry, but here, here's the advocate for it. Like here's, here's your reason to read the Old Testament, right? For salvation is from the Jews. And of course that has multiple meanings, not only the prophecies of the Old Testament, but of course the person of Christ coming through the lineage of the Jews. Well, he's sitting right in front of her, right? Verse 23, our language again. But an hour is coming. And then he adds this, and this is the bomb that drops. And now is. What does that tell you? Now is the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's not yet the hour of his glory on the cross, right? Like the atonement. But an hour is coming. So there's that sort of like, you know, theological nuance of the now and not yet, right? The now is, Jesus has actually come. The fulfillment of those Old Testament scriptures that you're missing in your theology, here he is. When the true worshipers, I love how he switches this. He doesn't go to like when the Jews or when the Samaritans or anyone else, no singular group, right? But it's the true worshipers will worship the Father. And he mentions two things in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Okay, what do you think that means? Or what have you been taught? I'm interested in that too. About what it means to worship in spirit and truth. What do you think it could mean? To not worship in geographical location or... (laughs) On the temple in truth, on the temple in Samaria. Yeah, sure. (laughs) I think um, when you take into a Jewish context of Old Testament worship, it was so visual and earthly right sacrifices lampstands everywhere and then the jews got into the thinking that oh all god requires is like outward worship like as long as you do it outward properly god will be pleased Mm -hmm. but that was never the case though obviously god still wanted their hearts in the old testament but in the new testament times because we don't need the temple the sacrifices the lampstands the tabernacle whatever um What's really being focused now is like true faith, heart, mm-hmm. um, real sincere worship from the heart, right? That's mm-hmm. that's how I take it. Alex, you have something to say. Yeah. Um, must worship in spirit. That I'm less sure of, but I'm thinking that it's um, referring like sincerity in worship. But about truth, I think it indicates that our worship of God is and our faith for God is not blind mm-hmm. and it's something that is like intelligent Sasha hmm. thank you Alex nice, Ab- nice Alex are we incapable of worshipping without the spirit because it's the spirit worshipping yeah mm. I mean we've already seen some of that language before right where the yeah, it literally says those who are not in the spirit cannot please God mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right we've seen Amen. we've seen that right in the conversation with Nicodemus in the born again mm-hmm. language right spirit the wind blows where it wishes etc without the spirit right there's something missing in this person they're but flesh right so the spirit is a is necessary right um so our worship must in a way root from these things right in spirit and in truth right it can't be just one or the other or missing both which would be the worst right but I, don't, I also think it's indicative of what's missing in the worship of the Jews and the Samaritans at the moment, mm-hmm. right? 
So if he were worshiping in spirit and truth, I think he would just be like, like, like that guy over there. He's <laughs> worshiping in truth. Yeah, you see, yeah. true worshipers, right, of the Father mm. will worship in spirit and truth. I think Richard, what Richard was talking about uh, seems to sum up what at least most scholars and people like agree on, minus the disagreements of the nuances <laughs> of what these things mean, right? And that'll take that'll take us forever, so I won't mm-hmm. get in there. But what I have written down is simply it means that one worships with a spiritual perspective of things above, mm-hmm. things below. This is in line with John's like gospel so far, right? Mm-hmm. Heavenly things over earthly things, eternal perspective element of that as well. Mm. A heart mm. is something that many commentators note on desiring for the things of God, of the Father, of the Spirit, to worship in truth, as Alex pointed out, mm. on the whole counsel of the Word of God. Yeah. Right? This is why we have like the regulative principle that the Scripture and the Word of God regulates everything we do in worship. It means mm. to have the Word of God as our authority, as the guiding principle for us in mm. our worship of God. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so to not have that regulating our worship potentially lead us to not worshiping in spirit and in truth right which is really really important Mm. um and then we continue it gets so this we could spend three weeks on this but we won't um (laughs) one yes one thing to add like how i remember that Mm -hmm. it's like if i'm not i can't remember immediately what this means that we worship in spirit and truth Mm -hmm. i can think of the opposite like if you say we don't worship in the flesh <laughs> and by whatever we make up yeah. um, that sort of helps me to remember yeah 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 the opposite is true like i remember one time someone asking me like well, what do you think what kind of worship do you think god wants i'm like i don't know perfectly but i know he doesn't want sin so i'll try to remove <laughs> sin from sin from my worship sorry right um Verse 24, God is spirit. We've already been told us this, right? We've already been told God is spirit. (laughs) And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So no longer is it just a proclamation of that true worshipers will worship in this way. Jesus makes it a command, right? You must worship him in spirit and truth. Mm -hmm. So we cannot take this, in other words, lightly as Christians, right? That this is a command from Christ. Mm. Verse 25, the woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. So Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Mm. But here's a very interesting thing. The Samaritans did not call the Messiah Messiah or Messiah in Hebrew. They called him Taheb. So for mm. her to use the Jewish term for this coming Christ is incredible. Right? She knows she, some stuff. Yes. So, I don't know where she picked up this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one of the five husbands. One of the five husbands. He's like semi-legit. She had five bullets, and one of the bullets landed on the right guy, right? <laughs> so like, oh, yeah, you know the Jews, they worship Messiah. I've never thought of that, bro. That's amazing. Okay, let's delete that from this entire recording. All right, strike that from the tape. Editor, video editor, strike what we James, disregard that, please. Um... And she knows something, even though Jesus already pointed out that there are things that the Samaritans don't know, right? Mm. But she clearly does know something. So she uses this term, Messiah. And she says, I know that Messiah is coming. But brothers and sisters, after Jesus gives her this response of the hour, of worshiping the spirit of truth, for her to all of a sudden just jump to, I know that the Messiah is coming, when that one comes, 
he will declare all things to us. Mm. That's what she knows. It's a simple truth, isn't it? It's a simple faith and belief. Mm. So people ask me all the time, how do we know that the Old Testament believers had this belief in the Messiah that was coming and would you know, restore all things or save them from all these things? Well, here's the evidence of even a Samaritan who had faith in the Taheb or the Messiah, the Christ who would come and restore and reveal all things, mm. right? So there's your evidence for that. But he will declare all things to us. Jesus says to her in verse 26, and this is extraordinary, and I was surprised nobody pointed this out, but this is the first time Jesus declares this of himself. And it is not to Nicodemus, a Jewish mm. leader. It is to a Gentile. Yeah. It is to a Samaritan woman who is that. adulteress. Mm. Right? He, so you pointed this out? He did. When? In the beginning. <laughs> no, he didn't. I would have remembered. I heard it. I did. No way. I did, I swear. No, you're plagiarizing. No, no you're lying, though. You're no, cheating. He, he said that. He's like, I think from what I remember or was told, yeah. that this is Jesus' first encounter with a Gentile. Yeah. Right, but this is his first declaration mm. of himself yeah. as the Messiah. Oh, that part probably. Right? Yeah, yeah. To not... I said it's the first time he offered salvation oh, to a Gentile. Sure, yeah. okay. I'll give you Beautiful. some partial points there. <laughs> Seven out of ten. That's pretty good. Think about it. He is revealing himself, his true identity, for it's the crazy. first time in this gospel, Sheesh. not to a Jew, not even to his disciples. It's mm -hmm. not John. It's not oh, Peter. Sure. It's not any of those dudes. It is a Gentile woman, like a Samaritan three woman. Years later, bro. Right? At the well. So people who say, like, oh, the Bible is misogynistic. It's too, you know, it's too, like, man-centered. This is Jesus telling you, no, 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 no. It's not. Here you go. Right? Mm. I am revealing myself to this woman who is a Samaritan who is adulterous. This is extraordinary. Mm. Right? Mm. Like, it's it's kind of crazy. Like, people always, like, give the Bible a bad rep because it's like, oh, it's too, like, you know, it's all about, you know, men. It's anti-women, etc. Like, you have to consider, like, the first people who are told of the resurrection are women. Mm. Right? Like, these are things being revealed to people that ought not to be told these things first. Mm. Back in the day, in the, as I told you in our introduction, the, the Roman courts, they wouldn't even take women as uh, proper witnesses, like legit witnesses to anything. Their testimony for anything that they witness would not even be counted as witness, right? <clears throat> and we're seeing the witness of Christ and his, his, his works, like, amazingly being witnessed by women first. Mm in so many instances if you need evidence of the effectiveness of this and god working in this like people say well like oh whoop-de-doo he revealed himself to a woman what did that yield brothers and sisters just look to verse 39 go to john 4 39 from that city many of the samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman <clears throat> who testified so this woman not only heard this she shared it she mm. went out and shared it a woman who is hiding from public shame because of her adulterous life yeah, she went to goes declare. back to her mm. city, declares to men mm. the discovery of the Messiah, and they believe in him because of her word. Mm. This is like extraordinary stuff, right? Master evangelism. Verse 27. We're going to end off okay, with this. Okay, ending off with this at this point his disciples came okay where were you the whole time disciples right so they're back on the scene they're getting food and they were amazed and they're not amazed at this woman who is you know spiritually bending her knee to the to christ at this point right 
they are amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here, Jesus, right? Why are you talking to a woman? Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? They don't ask him that. You can imagine they're a little hesitant. They're like, you're like a good teacher. Like, why are you doing this, right? Verse 28. So the woman left her water pot. Why is that amazing? Mm. She has living water. Yes. She don't need it. She don't need it anymore. Why did she come to this well this day? Get water. Because of her thirst. Because of the necessity of water in life. This is the extraordinary thing about this day for her. This day obviously changed her life. But think about it. She came to this well this day like any other day getting to get water. She left with living water. Mm-hmm. Right? I think it's also just um, the like the gospel had hit her so hard that's like mm-hmm. she's just like in a rush now. Right? I need to start yes. telling people. So yeah. that, that shows like what the gospel should do us right and it gives us at that moment it's not like she'll ever drink water again like she will drink yeah water yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. she probably yes. took her water but at that moment the... it wasn't important <laughs> yes. what was more important yes. was going into the yes. city and telling us yes. yes. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah like this thing yeah. that is essential yeah. for human life yeah. she's like she got something more she's important. like more important i gotta water pot yeah i got eternal water yeah 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 like john makes note of this he makes note of this action of leaving her water pot to show you this, right? To demonstrate to you, just like in the case of the miracle in the wedding in Cana, where the water pots returned, right? The water jars, the water within them returned into wine. Here's the going of the old and the coming of the new. Something better has been discovered that replaces whatever was before it, right? Mm. And so when she drops her water pot, she goes into the city, the very city where she would have been finger pointed at and go, there goes that adulterous woman, right? And says to the men, some of whom, maybe, you know, who knows? One of the five husbands, right? <laughs> Come see a man. Where have we seen this language before? Yeah, we saw it in, like, John 1, right? We saw the disciples were like, hey, yo, like, Philip goes to his brother. He's like, hey, yo, you got to see this guy. He's, Come see. Come and see this guy. Come see a man who told me all the things I have done. Right? There's, like... Like, that singular thing, that's the thing? That's the thing that drew her? Like, he knows all things. And her question is this. This is not the Christ, is it? Mm. Like, you can see, like, faith is starting to grow in her. They went out of the city and were coming to him. So these men hear her, and they're like, here's this woman. We don't have good, like, we don't have a good perception of this person. But she claims to have found the Christ. God works in that moment through that testimony, through that witness of Jesus. And these men start going to Jesus. And then we, of course, read in verse 39 that uh, many of the Samaritans believed in Christ because of her word of testimony. Mm. Okay. Sheesh. That's where we end today. Sheesh. The last 15 minutes. Yeah, I feel like I'm the woman at the well, bro. How so? Huh? How so? Well, like, are. I don't have five husbands, but I have, like, four girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Max is not impressed. You have four girlfriends? Are you sure? No, I do not <laughs> Not simultaneously. <laughs> okay, so... I'm so close to having... <laughs> what did we learn? 
this is one of my favorite chapters. Mm. This is crazy. It's, 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 it the is whole Bible crazy. or like I didn't, I didn't know she left the water pot. Oh really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is such cool stuff that it like makes me shake mm-hmm. like when I read it. Yeah. Because I just imagine this conversation, like John wasn't even there. So imagine John hearing this, making note of all of these things, mm. and then yeah, where was he? recording was he it. Behind the wall? No, he's he says he was, he was getting a feast. He was getting pizza. In the city. Well, he's getting food with the rest of the disciples. So yeah. he comes back and he's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. eating. Like, he went on food. But imagine like later, <laughs> later he probably John, go, right? later he's like hearing about what actually happened here, yeah. maybe from the woman, maybe from Jesus. Like, and like, can you imagine? Like he's probably like, whoa. Yeah. This is nuts. Like, why are all these men from Samaria coming to our Jewish Honestly, man, like, right? I don't even think the disciples knew that Jesus was the Christ, bro. At this not point, yet, no. Like, there was so point, much, like... Not. I mean, at this point, not probably not at all. Like, like, after he rejected, they're like, now then they realized like, that he was... Super <laughs> shallow Yeah, I just don't think they knew anything. It's yeah, like, I mean, the resurrection was key yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, Baby faith. For sure. Okay. What are some thoughts? I think uh, I'm going to speak first, and then Victoria's going to go next. (laughs) (laughs) Victoria's going to play quiet. Um, I think for me, I think verse 14 is... uh, (laughs) I think verse 14 is, like, something we need to keep in mind, that... um, But the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain of water springing up eternal life. I think sometimes we think, like, well, that's for the Samaritan woman. She experienced it. But, like, everyone who believes in Christ has Mm -hmm. this, right? Mm -hmm. We have the Holy Spirit. That's like a fountain, right? Holy Spirit's inexhaustible. We have eternal life, not going to hell forever. We have e- spiritual joy. We have hope, faith, which is like eternal, infinite things. And I think that should cause us to be so joyful and grateful, right? Like we, I, I had a friend, I have like atheist friends, and um, like they have like really nice jobs. I have a friend, he works at Apple. He used to work at Google. He makes like 200 grand a year now. Well, like, <laughs> yeah, but then, like, his life, when I talk to him, like, he smokes twice, he smokes weed twice a week, because, like, he has anxiety, questions about meaning of life, I'm sure he feels guilt, like, every atheist deep down feels some sort of guilt, right, because, like, they know God exists, and, like, they're screwed when they die, right, um, but then, like, to see even people who are living, like, earthly happy lives, right, making good money, good job, whatever, but then not to have that fountain of living water. It's like, when I see his life, like, he's a friend of mine, but I'm just like, it's so sad. It's like, wow, you know, you're, you're, you're like dried up, right? You're like this yeah. very... He's got earthly water. He's got earthly water, a lot of earthly water, right? Nice salary, nice reputation, he's got a lot of forest, everything. Dude. I think it's Spurgeon, or it might be Calvin, who makes note of this, is that the woman doesn't leave that day no longer an adulterous woman, mm. right? Nothing has changed in that regard, right? Like, the sins of her life are still existent, just, and they are much a reality and part of her life as the moment she discovered Christ, that like came to that well. But upon leaving, there is a fundamental shift in understanding, mm-hmm. right? And it all centers around the discovery of who this person is, mm-hmm. right? And that is extraordinary, right? That our Christian life, we make so much of, like, um, Okay, now that I'm a Christian, I guess I ne- I now have to be immediately like this pure creature of holiness, mm-hmm. right? Of course, that's not the reality for us, right? Yeah. And so this woman leaves that day still a sinner in need of repentance, but she's discovered mm. the source, 
like the living water that will allow this repentance to genuinely occur yeah. in her life, right? I'm sure she did repent of her cohabiting yes. and eventually. Oh yeah, yeah for yeah. sure, right? Like with this. I mean, I'm sure she went to that husband that day and was like, "Sorry, bro. Yo, um, there's Sorry. a better man over there." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't live with you, bro. I'm gonna follow him. Yeah, I, I like to think bro. she probably went celibate. Why do you like to? <laughs> why do you like to think that? Speculation. I love so it. She got a sixth husband. Like, that's, not, that's not repentance. She have a real husband. Oh, yeah, like true, true, yeah. Oh, yeah, that wasn't her husband. Yeah, true, yeah. true. So, Victoria, you, you're you dying to share. What, what were you thinking? I mean, I wasn't dying. So yeah. <laughs> she's, not, she's not dying. She has living water. Oh, she has living water, for sure. Victoria's living water. But, yeah, share, share your... What, what what did you like? Or what, um, did, what did you learn? I mean, yeah, I think, like, looking at this again with, like, fresh eyes, there are many extraordinary things about this story. And mm. Like What's one thing? Part, like the part that like is most extraordinary to me, I think, is like how she went to the well, just like on an ordinary day, just to get water, mm. and she comes back from the well with her whole life changed. Mm. And yeah, it just made me think about like yeah, the unexpected, unexpected yeah. things of like how God works. Yeah. Do you think this was an accident? Christ, meeting Christ was an accident. No. <laughs> oh, so it was planned by Christ. Yeah. So would you say he was pursuing her, her salvation? Yes. Yes. That's beautiful. It shows that that's that's what <laughs> I'm just drawing my own theological high school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> but it shows like that's how God is with us, right? Yeah. He's chasing. He pulls us to himself. She wasn't thinking like uh, she wasn't looking for him. Eternal no, life. Yeah, yeah. She didn't care. Look, she there's no us. way that she's leaving this conversation going. Oh, this guy like had this whole thing already like in mind, yeah. right? Like everything was providentially like organized. Yeah. yeah. Like, everything. everything about it. She had a divine. She went meeting. home that day yeah, going like meeting. she went back that time going like, look what I found. What a freak like, accident. Like yeah. look who yeah. I found, right? Like I ran into this guy. And this oh, is crazy, right? Um, and it's extraordinary, right? Sometimes we You're have to... In her mind, that's what she was... She in back. her perspective, right, right, that's right, right, all right. she When, when we know, it's obviously like... Yeah, God but God when we yeah, look yeah. back, we're like, oh, wait, God was actually right. in control of all those things. It's right. funny. She went to go draw water that day, and then Jesus drew her to himself. Ooh. Were you, were you waiting to say that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know you wrote it down somewhere. You were waiting to no, say that. Not really <laughs> Is that the next that's Insta story bro. of this pack? Yeah, you can get that tatted. That's beautiful, bro. No, that's that's plagiarism. Okay, Victoria, that was wonderful. Thank you for sharing. That was that was awesome. What do you? What do you? What everyone? Else rest, of you. Yes. rest of you. Yes. In the you. last share, few share. minutes that we have, yes. any thoughts or questions, maybe? <sighs> any reflections? I want to hear more from the sisters. Yeah. Okay, Arya, let's go. Put up the volume. It's pretty boring. Uh, yeah, maybe you missed that part. So the <laughs> the rest of the Old Testament, like post-Deuteronomy, they felt was, um, like some scholars say or historians say, they felt it was like Jewish propaganda, that a lot of it was politically uh, driven, a lot of the texts, oh, okay. and manipulated. They also felt they weren't of divine origin. Um, they also oh, speak okay. very unkindly of Samaritans <laughs> <laughs> and like mixed race Jews. So in like interracial, which they are. 
So it would be, you know, convenient for them to omit those texts from their reading. Yeah, and uh, the, the Samaritans were originally Jews 500 years ago, mm -hmm. right? But then God said, don't ever intermingle with Gentiles, but they intermingled out of disobedience. Yes. So they didn't want those books that would condemn them for their actions. Yes. Yeah, they were the result of their sin. There's yeah, not much yeah. you can do about it. You're also just born into that line too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. After 500 yes. years, it's, yeah. all, I mean, they could it's repent, all messy, right? But yeah. Obviously, yeah. yeah. They were originally Jews. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, considering Samaritans don't use that language, do we know like why she said that, or she just answer? something interested? Yeah. <laughs> How did she know, bro? That the, the Messiah language. What was your anger? What was your language? What was your answer, bro? Which verse are you? 25. Verse twenty-five. Twenty-five. <laughs> What is her question? How did she well, know she that the Messiah was Yeah, because she's a Samaritan, so how did she know this Jewish concept, oh, she's theological concept? So she, would she have, like, half knowledge? Yeah, yeah, like, half knowledge. Middle knowledge. Yeah, I think she calls him that because of what Jesus said, right? That in verse 22, he says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So... In line with Jesus' statement, I think she, I don't want to say accommodates, but at least <clears throat> appeals to what he's saying, right? And he's saying, I know that on your end, as a Jew, you know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things. She's trying to create, like, basically an interchange between the Taheb and the Messiah. There's, she is claiming them to be the same person, which in reality, it is the same person, right? But there is a limited understanding on the Samaritan side in terms of this Messiah, which they call the Taheb. And in the case of the Jews, the Messiah is, um, they have a fuller understanding of this Christ because of the rest of the Old Testament. But it's not to say that one is right over the other. And it's not to say that, oh, the Samaritans had it wrong the whole time. But it was just a limited understanding. So she's using the language of this Jewish man that is in front of her. Um, to draw out more information because she's really interested at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you. Nice, Arya. Very good question. Um, <laughs> and it sets up beautifully verse 26. I who speak to you am he, right? That's mm -hmm. wonderful. Okay, <clears throat> any final thoughts? Will we end with Corey? Do you have any thoughts? Uh, with that setup, you must have like seven quotes right now. <laughs> <laughs> budget setup. Let's go. Budget, <laughs> budget setup. Um, no, I I thought like, cause John's my favorite gospel, but then like rereading this again, there was definitely a lot of new insight, mm. um, and it just shows like the power of God's word and His Spirit. Mm. Even though you're reading the same text over and over, there's always something new to like draw. Yeah. Mm. Um, I know the focus was more on like the Samaritan woman, like sort of our condition as a whole um, but then like I really look to Jesus uh, in this passage the way that he interacted with her and why because uh, ultimately it was for uh, her to believe right mm -hmm. or to know <clears throat> who she was <clears throat> interacting with mm -hmm. and so you just see a lot of like uh, the way that he sort of evangelizes to her mm -hmm. right because Jesus is the ultimate uh, master evangelist <clears throat> And um, you just it shows a lot about like his uh, you know divinity his uh, uh, what do you call that uh, his uh, 
omnipotence, omniscience, omniscience. Yeah, right. Um, and and yet he was still speaking to her with, you know, um, a gracious like tone, I guess, where it didn't sound like he was angry with her or like condemning, even though she sinned against him ultimately. Um, and the when she went into the city and uh, told like everyone about uh, who she just met. Uh, I think I just like look at my own personal evangelism life, life of evangelism, mm -hmm. and you know it definitely challenges me personally, right? Even though, mm. you know, if if I if I've been with Christ like this long, right, nine years, right, since I've been justified, shouldn't I technically be even more excited? Mm. You know what I mean? Well, if, yeah. if I am growing in uh, spirit and truth, yeah. right? So this definitely like challenges me, like, you know. Um, not so much like rediscovering Jesus, but like being refreshed and renewed by his word that we're reading today, right? Mm. Would I have the same attitude as she did the first time that she met Jesus to like go into the city and to like, you know, uh, declare, you know, Jesus as, as Lord, right? Um, I think it was a beautiful image of And God's like providence over the Samaritans is incredible because yeah. clearly they were in eager waiting for this Christ. Right. So this proclamation of his coming, was something they just jump on and they're right. and you wonder like the church have we lost like fervor in that like the coming yeah, of yeah, like for sure like, second coming like christ himself yeah. is he mm -hmm. something we've lost forever for, exactly right? right um yeah it's kind of crazy yeah mm, tasha sasha oh, i just found it very touching as you mentioned that uh, in fact like nothing about her past or her status changed mm. however god was still able to work through her and for her especially like um, to be the person who couldn't even draw water with other people because she was avoiding contact with them mm -hmm. to go back and to proclaim who Christ is and also the way she treated Christ at first it's like realizing the differences in status and that he's not even supposed to talk speak to her mm -hmm. than her going and doing it for Christ kind of uh, it reminded me of when you were talking during the sermon and saying how uh, once we ask who God is uh, everything kind of takes its place and the order the proper order arrives that mm -hmm. she kind of realized at the end really like she is ought to be the witness of jesus and mm -hmm. that is the who she is not mm -hmm. the sinful woman or not anything yeah. else but the, the, she only had like one mission and mm -hmm. it is to point to christ mm -hmm. awesome yeah. That's so and, good. It, and it points to the fact that she had a conscience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. as low of her like as low as her behavior was there was a high conscience within her Mm -hmm. Like she wasn't proudly going around. I don't care. Like I'm adulterous. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I'm gonna gloat my sin. Right. Like she doesn't. She clearly has an understanding of something she's doing wrong. But you can imagine, like she's been struggling with the very thing that she's doing. But wrong. she didn't have an answer to. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Her problems. Here yeah. is this solution to that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with like, uh oh, now my resume is clean. Mm -hmm. Although once she becomes a believer, in a sense, it's washed away. Mm -hmm. But it's just like. It's amazing this understanding right yeah so Spurgeon writes Christ has different doors for entering into different people's souls and to some he enters by the understanding mm -hmm. to many by the affections to some he comes by the way of fear to another by that of hope this woman came by way of her conscience mm -hmm. so kind of great just a thought mm -hmm. right um, and it, I think it really speaks to the uniqueness of all of our journeys like there is a unity in all of our <coughs> testimonies mm -hmm. but there's also an incredible variety to yeah. our testimonies as well right? sure. so I think it's really powerful mm -hmm. okay that concludes our time it is 8.30 sweet
Uh, Richard, could you close us in prayer? Yep. All right. Great. Bless us. <laughs> Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful passage you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that Christ um, does give us water um, that produces in us a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Um, help us, Lord, to be immensely grateful and to be immensely joyful over this reality. The reality that is not true for most people, unfortunately, um, sadly. And we see it, Lord, people around us trying to find water in the wrong places, and it ultimately leads to misery and destruction. Um, but Lord, by your grace, you have uh, pursued us just as you pursued this Samaritan woman. And uh, because you pursued us and you, draw us to, you drew us to yourself, uh, we have in us a spring of water. We are united to Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the hope of eternal life. We have your spirit changing us, helping us to become more righteous. We have um, this full justification, righteousness in your sight because of Christ's righteousness. Lord, we give you thanks for this wonderful, wonderful reality and for choosing sinners like us um, who are no better than sinners today who don't believe in you. We're no better, and yet you pursued us. And that's amazing, Lord. And help us to be grateful every day when we pray and when we walk to know that we are in Christ and um, yeah Lord just and as, as Corey mentioned today as well help us to have zeal to get this message out um, to exhibit it in our lives in our own personal righteousness but also in our words um, to, to be zealous and find opportunities to get this word out to people who don't know it so that they may also come to know the Savior who has loved us um, so Lord may, may this word change us may it um Remind us, Lord, of how blessed we are and how, how blessed we are to have eternal life. That we won't face your destruction and your wrath when this life ends, but we will be in the presence of you, your gracious presence for all eternity. So, Lord, uh, thank you, Max, for preparing this. Pray that you bless him and grant him energy in his work. Thank you for all those who came here today. May you bless them and may this word be a blessing to them and a source of encouragement and comfort in the days to come. Girls in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Max. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you See you later, Aria.